Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice in conversation with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. Kara Golden, I am super excited to have you on Leave Your Mark. I want you to know that it is actually a addiction, pineapple hint. I literally have about 50 in my apartment. I carry them with me everywhere I go. I feel like a psycho. You're so funny. I'm not kidding. It's the only thing I drink, the non-sparkling pineapple. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. It's so amazing. So for everyone listening, Kara Golden is the founder and CEO of Hint a healthy lifestyle brand that produces seriously the most delicious, unsweetened, fruit-infused water. And also, I mean, you're in sunscreen and now deodorant, which by the way, I also use. So I'm like a full-blown fan. And that's essentially, that's essentially why we're having this conversation today, because I really am so impressed and amazed with everything you've done, the way that you do it, and the kind of leader you are. So I'm super excited to dig into your story today. You also host a podcast, which is called Unstoppable. I do. Where you interview inspiring entrepreneurs, which is fantastic. And I mean, your accolade list, Kara, is insane. I'm just going to read it because I could not possibly memorize this. You have been named Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business. You're one of Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs. I think we should call that female entrepreneurs, but I'm just saying. Uh, One of Forbes, 40 women to watch over 40, entrepreneur of the year in Northern California, Fortune's most innovative women in food and drink. I mean, it goes on and on. The Huffington Post listed you as one of six disruptors in business alongside Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. So there's that. (laughs) So funny. Thank you. I mean, when you hear that, do you like absorb what that sounds like? You know, I think for me, it's a, uh, the key thing is that my passion and my curiosity is actually becoming, you know, helpful to lots of other people, right? So that's what I really hear when I hear those things. I'm just really honored on so many fronts, because I think like lots of other entrepreneurs, when you, you know, are working super hard and there's many lonely nights of just like doing it on your own, right? Especially in the early days. And I think that when you get recognized for that, I think you have the ability to look back on sort of those times and say, okay, yeah, it was all worth it. But again, it's hindsight 2020, right? Sure. When you're in that, it's like, oh my gosh, like, is this going to, is this going to be worth it? I mean, it's such a slog. So that's really what 
you know, for me, that's what the recognition really means. That's amazing and very gracious of you. So you grew up in Arizona. I did. And I'm sure never in a million years, you would think that you would be making water, first and foremost, as a career. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, I I love speaking on college campuses, because, you know, I feel like it was not so long ago, even though it was uh, (laughs) that I was, you know, that I was there. And, and I was a double major in communications and journalism and finance. And so, you know, I really wanted to get into journalism and, and write. I always wanted to disrupt and do something that made a difference. But I, I really thought that I could do it being a storyteller around finance. Never in a million years did I think that I was going to be starting a beverage company. But I also you know, I love what I'm doing because I think that I am really making a difference, getting people to enjoy water and sort of as an entrepreneur, having an understanding of finance is super key on so many fronts. I mean, I think it's it's sort of the challenge for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs that if you don't really have, you know, a basic understanding of business, then my suggestion is always you should go and find it because it's not just about the idea and the execution of the idea. It's really about, you know, making it a business as well and understanding that element of it. I 100% agree. But you went to Arizona State University. I did. And your first job, I mean, this is like very back in the day now because your title was circulation sales manager at Time Magazine. I mean, times have changed, boy. I mean, it's crazy. What was it like back then? Well, it's funny. I mean, even before I became a circulation manager, I took a job actually at Time. I mean, it's a funny story. I I wanted to work for Fortune magazine, which was part of the Time, you know, magazine group. And I marched into the HR offices. This is way back before security in, in buildings. <laughs> and I marched into the HR office and I said, I want to get a job working at Fortune in editorial. And, you know, they they didn't really know what to do with me. Like I literally like landed in New York City, was interviewing for some other jobs. And I thought my sort of dream job is to go and, you know, work for Fortune. And so I went into the HR department and, and said, I'd really, you know, like to get a job. And they were just like, well, what experience do you have? And I was like, you know, I just graduated from college and I took some journalism classes and they were like, wait, what? Like, how how are you going to get a job that you have no experience actually working yet? And so I said, well, what could I be doing in the building? Because I'll prove myself. And, And so I got a job in circulation as an executive assistant. And so I took that job I mean, truly not even knowing what circulation really was. (laughs) I mean, I basically like, you know, knew that it was kind of these blow in insert cards that are really annoying that go into magazines. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I mean, I can always quit if I don't like it. But I thought, you know, the fact that I'm going to be working in like the Time Inc. building and maybe I'll eventually get a job at Fortune. But I just thought, you know, I'll start somewhere. And so it was one step above the mailroom, literally. And I worked for this amazing woman, Brooke McMurray, who really saw what I could do and gave me, frankly, lots of opportunities to mess up. And I think that that for me 
really exposed me to the world of, you know, multiple things happened at time, including the fact that like people who had gone to Ivy League schools who had gotten jobs at time were actually starting out as managers. And I was, you know, I had gone to a big state school. I always, I'm in the process of editing my book that's coming out next September. Ooh, exciting. There's a whole, yeah, there's a whole chapter on this. I mean, I, I said that the first time that I realized that there was something wrong with my education was when I got a job at Time. And it, that's no like slice necessarily against Time. It's just that I got there and got this job. And I mean, I was so excited to have a job. And I didn't really understand, you know, that a title of an executive assistant was not necessarily great in some people's minds. And so these kids that were the same age as me and had gone to various Ivy League schools were starting out as assistant managers. And they were essentially doing a lot of the same work that I was doing, but with a higher title. And so Mm -hmm. they were all asking me like, oh, what did your dad do? Like, how did you get a job here? And I'm like, what does my dad have to do with this? And then I realized that there were just opinions about, you know, where people had gone to school and I mean, in hindsight, now I look back and I say it's their own insecurities because very quickly I not only caught up to where they were, but also bypassed them Mm -hmm. pretty fast. And that's when, I mean, I look back on my time at my time at time. And I I think, (laughs) you know, working for a great boss who just, like I said, gave me lots of room to fail right? And try lots of things. And, you know, I worked my butt off and I really learned a ton. And and sometimes like the work was boring, right? And, you know, monotonous. And, but I really found that, you know, if I stuck with it, that I would get to do different projects that were maybe more exciting. And, and the, the key reason for me in leaving time was that I really felt like in order to go further, if I wanted to go into the editorial side, I needed to go get experience. They weren't going to sort of train me to go and, you know, write for Fortune magazine. They really wanted people with experience, at least at that time. And then also they wanted people with MBAs was just a huge thing. So I thought, you know, unless I go and get an MBA, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to really grow here. And, And also having a boss that really said that as well. I mean, she's like, look, you're terrific. You're great. You're smart. You know, like you're willing to work hard. You're scrappy, like all these things. But if you're not willing to go and get an MBA, like maybe you should be looking around for other stuff. And so I ended up getting an offer from another company that was like crazy to think about. It was like a little bit more than a startup uh, called CNN. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was crazy. And I knew what CNN was, which, you know, it was really the early days of CNN. It was the early 90s. And I actually had to have cable. I lived on the Upper West Side and I had to have cable in order to actually get any type of reception. And so CNN, you know, I had access to it. And one of the projects that I worked on at time was airline circulation. And so I became very knowledgeable on sort of working with airports and how distribution worked, at least in the magazine side. Oh, interesting. So what CNN was super interested in doing was really getting my knowledge of airports and dealing with unions. And even though they were totally different things, they felt like there were synergies between what I had done with magazines and this new idea that Ted Turner had, which was to put monitors in airports. So when you go to uh, an airport, you can 
partially thank me <laughs> any time that CNN is on TV. So I, you know, worked in the initial stages of helping with some of those things. And then, frankly, we just got really busy and the Gulf War was going on. And, you know, the, the White House was, in addition to sort of other countries, were figuring out through CNN that they were actually at war. We got really busy. And then I just went into, you know, normal like traditional ad sales for CNN. And, and it was, um, you know, again, like I never left college thinking I'm going to go and be in ad sales, but I really viewed that as something that was slightly more interesting than my time in circulation. But I also felt like I wasn't really learning tons. Like I felt like the work was maybe slightly more interesting. And I got to meet with more people every day in advertising agencies and, you know, at clients, but I felt like I hadn't sort of hit like, oh my God, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But it, it was a great understanding. I'm sure you got some really valuable skills as far as pitching. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I think for me, I was always like a pretty good gauge of like people like I, I always really liked people a lot, but I think that that was for me, like really understanding how people respond to things and, you know, that people really need things laid out for them. And like the higher level people, I felt like, you know, you couldn't make them feel like they weren't knowledgeable, mm -hmm. right? Things like that. I mean, I always look back on my time and remember Ted Turner saying a few different things, including stop selling once you feel like, like he always, he taught us when you're selling and if somebody actually starts to talk to you after you've done a pitch about price, that they're actually already sold on what you're doing. At that point, you just have to sit and listen. So things like that, I think are really, really valuable no matter what industry you're in. I totally agree. Did you ever have any nightmare bosses? You don't have to name names. <laughs> I felt like time in particular was, I mean, you know, I love Brooke and I'm still in, in contact with her today. I felt like the caliber of people at time, they were just really smart, you know, and this was not necessarily saying like everybody who goes to an Ivy League school is smart, but I felt like there were just really smart, intelligent people that sort of kept me interested and engaged. When I got to CNN, I thought like there were a lot of cowboys there that were, <laughs> and literally there were a lot more men there than there were at, at time. But I don't know, like they just were not necessarily smart in the same way. I mean, and there were exceptions to it, but I think like that for me was like the, the key thing. And, and with that, I think also there was like a polish issue that I didn't feel necessarily was there at time, but it was great because then after that, I moved to San Francisco from New York and I'd met my husband in New York and we decided to move to San Francisco. We didn't know anybody when we moved to San Francisco and, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I basically had had two really good jobs and was interested, but I wasn't sort of like, okay, this is it. I'm going to stay in journalism. And, and I had been reading about this guy Steve Jobs, and he had been at Apple. And, you know, and I thought, he's really talking about things that I believed in, including that the internet really needed to be more graphically interesting before it ultimately took off and, and or would take off. And so 
I had read an article about a little startup that was a spin out of a few people that worked for Steve at, at Apple. So I just picked up the phone and I knew that they were in the Bay Area. They were just south of San Francisco. And I just thought, you know, I'm looking for a job. Maybe I'll just go and talk to them and buy them coffee if they'll have coffee with me and see if it spurs any ideas for me. Or maybe they know people that I can network with to find a job. And then I ended up getting a job with them in sales. They didn't call it sales. They called it business development, but it was the same thing. And basically, it was a CD-ROM project that was sort of an interim step to the internet really being faster. It was really an idea that Steve had come up with inside of Apple, um, Steve and his team, that ultimately was, I think, game-changing. It's very rarely talked about as one of Steve's best ideas. But basically, it took the graphics of catalogs like Yellow Bean and some not catalogs, but like 800 flowers. And basically, you stuck the disc in the machine and then you could order those products. And so I uh, came in like six months after the company was there. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget when they offered me a job. It was more money than I had been making in, in New York. And then they gave me a contract. And in the contract, there was equity. And uh, my husband's a lawyer, and I, I remember giving him the contract purely because it was a, an employment contract. Mm -hmm. I said, can you look at this? And he's like, wait, they're giving you like equity in this company. I'm like, what, what did you talk about? And I said, I don't, nothing. I mean, they just told me that they were going to, you know, give me an offer. And, and so then I called them and they said, oh, yeah, that's like what we do in Silicon Valley. We give people like a salary, but then you're also getting equity in the company. Unreal. I was like, "Unreal! wow, that's crazy. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm out, like, I had no idea what I was doing. I, you know, again, had a little bit of sales knowledge. And so my job was to like call up all these catalogers and basically get meetings with them and try and get them to put their catalog on our disc. And so that's what I was doing. Kara, what is it about your personality that in two scenarios that you've named so far, you have literally just fearlessly either walked in or just cold called. Like a lot of people do not do that. Like I would not do that. I would be like, I don't know, maybe they'll freak out or they won't answer the phone. Like you just seem like that's just like your normal default. Like you wouldn't even think there was anything crazy about that. You know, it's funny. I've done a lot of thinking on this, especially because my book is coming out. I mean, I was the last of five kids. And, you know, I joke about my parents because my parents were older than any of my, you know, yeah. friends' parents. Mm -hmm. And they had me actually when they were 40, which, you know, way back then that was like old. I never viewed my parents as like old, but I viewed my parents as like a little bit older. But, you know, I had really wild my sisters were not as wild, but my brothers, I had two brothers and two sisters. My brothers were really wild. I mean, like, I think they aged my parents like <laughs> over, I mean, they were awesome and they still are awesome, but I think all kids age their parents. <laughs> yeah. But they were just wild. So by the time my mom got to me and, you know, I'm like a teenager, my mom was like, just don't do anything that like embarrasses me or <laughs> like, just come home on time. And like, I just felt bad for her. Like I was like, don't worry, mom. And so, but basically, I mean, you know, my brothers and sisters would say this too, that I just figured out stuff for myself, like a lot of times, like I would just be 
you know, I was a gymnast too. So I would be off doing gymnastics or I ran a lot as well. And so I'd come home from meets or whatever. And, you know, it'd be later than dinner. And so I just like make dinner like I and I, I wasn't angry about it. I was just kind of like, Oh, that's, that's what I do. And, you know, I call friends and I tell my parents like, Oh, I'm going to this party. And they're like, great, you know, be home by 11 or whatever. Little did I know that that'd be amazing training for me later on to just be, I don't know, just like, do right, right? Like, wake up every day, be thankful that you've got another day and also just be responsible and be kind. And and I think that is something that, you know, I learned growing up, but I also, I learned being an athlete. I learned just later on in life at, you know, everything from time to CNN to um, the disc company to market. You know, there's so many people out there to your point who will not, you know, they'll put walls up in front of themselves. They won't, show up, they won't have the confidence. Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, if you have these opportunities to actually be independent, and take chances. And I mean, I think about it a lot from a parenting perspective, I have four teenagers now. And you know, I, I try and I mean, they're very independent teens, and I try and tell them make good choices. And, you know, and but I'm here, right, but I'm not going to figure everything out for them either. But I think like that's such a key thing. And and really, you know, and looking back at in my career that I think it's what sets people apart from other people, too, is your ability to not only be independent, but I think what that brings you is confidence as well and recognizing also failures. I mean, I, I talked to so many entrepreneurs, male and female, who were athletes, at least through high school. And I think that is something it teaches you teamwork it teaches you to actually appreciate people that are better at you than different skills and how you want those people on your team that's true that's a good example actually right yes it's funny just as a another sort of story as an example and how that's sort of led into you know even sort of operating my company today i remember i was talking to somebody on our team a couple of years ago and you know he's done an amazing job for a couple of years. And I sat him down and I was like, so what do you think? Like, where do you think you're going to go and in, in the company? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you're doing your job really well right now, but what you should really be doing is pushing on us to like, you know, we're growing over 50% year over year growth for the last few years. You should be asking us to hire people to do the job that you've been doing because we're oh, interesting. And when you do hire those people and you're going to learn to manage them and et cetera, and when you do hire those people, hire people that are better than you. And I remember him like looking at me like, wait, why would I do that? And I said, because you always want people who are better than you working for you. And he's like, that is the craziest thing that anyone has ever said to me. And I said, no, like, it's not. And he's like, well, you know, why? Because you're going to like replace me. And I said, no, it's like it basically, I mean, if you're in a growing company, you should always be looking for people that are able to do more your job mm -hmm. and do more. But in addition, like, I feel like this whole aspect of hiring people that are, you know, better for you. If you hire people like that, that are really sort of 
help you focus on other stuff and they're doing stuff. And then you're also learning from them, hopefully, as well to to actually be better. And I think like that's the biggest thing that I see, you know, in entrepreneurs as well as executives today, that it's like if you don't have people at all levels in the company who are actually teaching you stuff, like you get really cynical and bored and grumpy, right? Like you need people who are teaching you at all levels. So let me make sure I understand. He reported to you, right? Right. And you told him, I mean, was there like an open to hire? Like you basically told him that he should be asking you to hire people. But I think if you take that out of sort of, or like into the real world right now, like I can't picture saying that to my boss. So do you think that that's a specific situation where that's like, okay? No, I And I think it's true. I mean, we've now seen it throughout the company. I mean, I think, you know, it's something that is kind of hard for people to hear initially because they're like, wait, aren't I supposed to hire people that are less experienced than me, that don't really understand, and I'm going to teach them? And I'm like, that's one way to do it. But instead, if you hire people that, like, obviously have stuff to learn but are doing your job that you've mastered for the last couple of years. But, you know, maybe they know more about a system, right? Maybe they know how to use NetSuite, just as an example, better than you, Mm -hmm. right? And so you hire somebody like that in where they're going to learn from you, but you're going to learn from them because they have more experience doing stuff. And so, I mean, it's funny. He didn't have anybody working for him. Now he has seven people working for him. And he's one of our best managers, like he had never managed before. So I think it's just, he gets it. And, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, I'm going back to my gymnastics days. I mean, I was pretty good at bars and vault. And I was terrible. I never had the dance moves to do floor. floor. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. And I didn't really like I don't know. I didn't really have the balance to do beam. I mean, I was fine. But for me, vault was just like, I loved vault. I love bars. And it was just like those I was really passionate about. But I used to want to be around people because I was constantly learning who actually knew how to dance and who were really great. I'd watch them do, you know, round off back handspring, back handspring. And then I'd be like, oh my God, how'd you do that? Like, can you show me? And Whatever. Like, I think for me, that's what team sports does too, that it teaches you that it's okay to actually have people that have skills that maybe you don't have, and maybe you can pick up on things, maybe you won't pick up on things, but it just makes life more interesting. Like, I mean, look, I've heard this over and over again. I think women in particular don't have a great reputation oftentimes for actually bringing other people up. And I think it's just, you know, when I look at that and I hear that, I often think, are they bored with what they do because they feel like they're constantly teaching people? And are they actually following this method of hiring people that are doing things or know something that they don't? Because if they're not, then it just becomes this very exasperating sort of role, right? Like there's only so many days where you can sort of be at the top of the heap, right? And after a while, then you're just like, God, like I'm constantly teaching you versus actually saying, oh no, they're really smart. They did this and and whatever. It's just, it's a mindset. And I think it's something that, you know, more and more when there are issues, it's something that 
we should look at. And I think it's the same when you talk about mentorship too. It's so often when people are trying to find mentors, it's like, you know, I also think that it's, it's two ways, you know, you may be called a mentor because you're older and maybe have more experience, but you can actually learn a ton from people that you're mentoring, right? Sure. And it makes it that much more interesting. And, you know, I feel the same way about parenting. I think it's like, you know, I'm constantly talking to my kids about, I mean, I was, I was just away on a trip with my teenagers and I actually have a fairly good handle on TikTok right now. And I did wow, for you. You know, a couple of weeks ago and I'm impressed. Yeah. But again, I'm like, show me, yeah. like, show me how this guy. works. And if you do hands in front of the screen and sort of what happens. And so my kids were like dying and they were just like, mom, please don't go on TikTok. Did they call you cringy? I need to know. No, they, they didn't, but they laugh. But I think like, that's the other thing. Like they appreciate the fact that I actually want to learn. And I'm saying to them, this is something like, I'm like, wow, that's so cool that you got, that you're doing this or, or whatever. I mean, that's, I don't know if TikTok's cool or not. Oh, TikTok's very cool. Very cool. No, it's cool. But I don't know how I feel about TikTok exactly, but, but whatever, like the point is, is like, they know something that I don't. Sure. Right. And, and I think that everywhere around you, you look for people that are going to bring something to you. And I always encouraging people in our company when they are hiring people, like don't hire somebody that is just going to do the task, right? Because that's not ultimately going to make anyone happy. Hire people that are bringing something to the table that you don't have, that you are interested in learning. And that will just make the whole situation better. Amazing. So your last job before Hint was at AOL. Yep. So you were there for seven years. And then at the time, you found yourself drinking 10 cans of diet soda a day. Is that an accurate number? It's funny. I mean, it was progressively over over the years. I always go back and people are like, well, what did you drink before Diet Coke? And I was drinking tap because my mom played a lot of tennis and she drank a bunch of tab. And I think I, I like you know, tasted it. And she thought it was better for her. And all of her friends thought that tab was like, you know, kind of the drink. But in the early 80s, they came out with Diet Coke. I was like an early adopter to Diet Coke. So, you know, over the years, for me, it was like better tasting than tab. And, you know, at first, it was like a few cans a day. And then I'd be, you know, doing gymnastics and like I just was never a water drinker. And so I, I just would drink lots and lots of Diet Coke. And so when I finally started looking at how much diet soda I was really drinking, because I was trying to, I gained a bunch of weight after having kids and I had terrible adult acne at the time too. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so finally, after seeing a bunch of different doctors, they were all focusing on food and exercise and no one was talking about what I was drinking. And so I finally was like, gosh, like I had already been looking at ingredients and I looked at the Diet Coke and I thought, gosh, Diet Coke is, I mean, there's a lot of ingredients in there that I need like an encyclopedia to like figure out exactly what these things are, a dictionary or whatever to, to figure out exactly what these ingredients are. So that was like my real like epiphany as to how much I was drinking because a lot of times it wasn't cans. It was like, you know, filling up the, I mean, at AOL, we had a fountain soda machine right. and we would just go and put the glass up against it. And so 
it was crazy. I was really surprised, but you know, I've spoken with the Coca-Cola people over the years and it's funny. I mean, they called me a heavy user. Um, so, you know, it was like, there, there's like a term for it. So I wasn't the only one that was, oh my gosh. was you know, I was a heavy user. I was an early adopter. Wait, so, and, so I'm a heavy user of Hint. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Hysterical. Yeah. I mean, that was for me when I realized it, but it was, you know, I really realized at that point that I just wasn't drinking water at all. And, you know, I'd go on a run and I wouldn't bring anything with me. I would just like get back and I just crack open a Diet Coke. And for me, it was just, I loved it. Like I joke that I loved it more than my babies. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. Like if I didn't have a Diet Coke, I, I was really, you know, I was a mess. That's addiction. That's addiction. It was. Yeah. yeah. And no one, I mean, this was 15 years ago and no one was calling it addiction. And I was like, no, it's, it's addiction. Because I was like, I went through withdrawals for a couple of weeks. And, you know, I was just like, I mean, it was crazy. But I also, you know, made this determination that I was just going to totally give it up cold turkey. And again, the athlete in me, like, I was just like, okay, life's going to be, you know, not good for a few weeks. And then we'll see what happens. And I, I sort of had made this, you know, commitment to myself that I would not go from 10 down to two. Like a lot of people were like, why didn't you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I just, you got to just be done. It's like, if you're going to stop drinking alcohol or smoking or whatever, like you're going to stop. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and so I just decided I'm just not going to do it. And so I stopped. And then two and a half weeks later, I had lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks. Wow. And, wow. I mean, it was crazy. It was, and friends would see me and they're like, are you okay? Because Losing over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks is like, you look ill. Wait, but like actually 20 pounds. Yeah, I lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. And I was exchanging the Diet Coke for plain water. And that's when I was just like, people would talk to me about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just drinking water instead of the Diet Coke. And I really hadn't changed much about my food. I mean, my food was actually in pretty good shape. Like I was just... I had a sweet tooth, um, which I think is another thing that, you know, I realized about Diet Coke that these diet sweeteners are actually sweeter than real Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course they are. And so they get you to crave sweet. And so my husband, like, loves salty things. Like, he loves chips and loves, like, that world, which I always tell people, like, you know, if you're actually trying to get healthy... And you know that you're not as healthy as you want to be. People are either, in my opinion, like hooked on sweet or hooked on salty, right? And there's a lot of people who are probably sitting in the middle that have figured out how to balance that. But, you know, neither of them are great in excess. And so for me, like I would constantly be wanting like a piece of candy or, you know, in addition to the Diet Coke. So while I wasn't eating like 12 cupcakes, I felt like I was constantly feeding my system with like a piece of gum or a Mm -hmm. piece of candy or, or whatever. And so when I switched from Diet Coke over to drinking plain water, I was so bored, but I was also like, I found that I wasn't craving those sweets anymore. And so then I started slicing up fruit one day because I was eating fruit. And I thought, I wonder if I just throw this in the water, if it will get me to like my water a little bit more. And it did. And so that was like, 
when I just had this epiphany and, you know, it was like a few months later. And at this point I lost in six months, I lost over 50 pounds. Wow. Just from changing the drink. Just from changing the drink. So then at that point, I, I just was like really thinking about kind of my, my behavior and how for years I thought that, you know, diet wow. soda was like healthy and better for you. And I would talk to friends about it. And, you know, was, I, I remember talking to people about this like newish drink that had been out on the market, vitamin water. <laughs> And that was never my thing. Like Diet Coke was really my thing. But I remember I was like, people would say to me, oh, you should drink vitamin water. And then I would look at the ingredients and they were not that much different than a soda. And I would tell people, I was like, wait, why do you think that this is so healthy? And they're like, because it's vitamin and it's water. Because <laughs> it's in the name. <laughs> that's it's what... in the name, right? <laughs> and that's when I was really, really fascinated and intrigued with, and this is, again, is sort of who I am. Like, I'm just curious. Like, I, I was just like, why is that okay? Like, why is that okay that we're, you know, being marketed to, and there's people like me that are not as healthy as they want to be, and they're doing this every single day. And I remember also like having sort of a side conversation with a friend of mine that was a roommate of mine from college and she's working, still works at the Center for Disease Control. And she was talking to me about this new thing that she was working on. She had worked on poison control for years at Center for Disease Control. And she had worked, uh, she was now assigned to this new thing called type two diabetes. And mm. she was telling me about type two diabetes and how, you know, again, 14 years ago, it was like 2% of the population had this thing. And most of these people were like, couldn't lose weight. They had excess belly fat. They were like, actually, they were exercising for the most part. It definitely wasn't, you know, type one diabetes. It was significantly different. And I remember thinking, like, Although I was never diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, I still to this day think that I was probably pretty close and probably pre-diabetic just based on all of my symptoms and after speaking to her about it. But I thought, you know, here's something that is important enough for the Center for Disease Control to be looking at. Sure. And there are so many of these people who are claiming to drink diet like me, claiming to drink, you know, these like vitamin drinks, and they're coming up with these diseases. Like why, why are we allowing our food to be labeled and drinks to be labeled this way when diseases are coming up like that? It's really sad. And so that was really the epiphany for me. I thought if I can go launch this like drink, I never really thought about it as like a full-time gig. It was just sort of something in between jobs. And, you know, I'd taken a couple of years off after AOL to start my family. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And, you know, I wanted to be home with them when they were little, but I was, I was also getting antsy. And so for me, I thought if I could just go launch this product, then it'd just be really fun to watch it grow in this like awesome store, Whole Foods and see, you know, what would happen. It was, it was kind of a game to me. It wasn't like, I mean, I had a business plan, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going to be the next vitamin water. It was just really, how do I go and create something that I'd be proud of that would be helping people? And that's what I led with. So, okay. Like I have made in my years water, I've put fruit in water, okay? It would never 
ever occur to me, nor would my brain think, oh, I like this. So I'm going to go launch like a multi-million dollar water business. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think it's fascinating because at what point, I mean, obviously you gave it to your friends. I mean, people probably started, you know, weighing in and saying, this is great. And you were experimenting with it. But when were you like, this is a business? Like, was there like a moment when you were like, oh my God, I could like do this. So I took it to Whole Foods, like the idea. And I said, I'm thinking about launching this drink. I've been making it at home. I've got a bottler that I found that can help me figure this out. And, you know, and it doesn't have any sugar or diet sweeteners in it. And, you know, I'd love to get it on the shelf. I I didn't even have a commitment from Whole Foods. It was the local one in San Francisco. I didn't have a commitment from them that they would actually do it. And then I found out after I came up with this crazy idea that I was pregnant with my four. And so I started, I was like, okay, I'm going to go and develop this. I've got the business plan and I'm going to go develop this. And then if I'm going to do it, I better get it on the shelf before I have Justin, because then I can take a little bit of time off to sort of, you know, have a, a little bit of a maternity leave, a break with him. And so that didn't happen because, of course, there's delays in getting the product. And so literally, I, I ended up getting the product the day before my son, I was having a planned C-section and the day before he was going to be delivered. And so well, that's the a morning, <laughs> yeah, I had to be at the hospital at one o'clock. And that morning, my husband said, oh, what do you want to do this morning? We don't have to be at the hospital till one. And I said, you know, I'd really love to like take it over to Whole Foods and <laughs> see if we can get it on the shelf. And he was like, oh, exactly what I was thinking. I mean, brunch or go to Whole Foods and see if you can sell it in there. And you know, he's like, okay, fine. And he thought it was hilarious. And so he carried the couple boxes with me. And I mean, it was hilarious because the guy who I had met with before was like, oh my God, you're like really pregnant. Are you going to deliver the baby in the store? And I'm like, no, I'm like having a planned C-section. I have to be at the hospital at one o'clock. He's like, what, what's a planned C-section? And I said, Oh, okay. So here's what happens. Like some people just don't dilate and, (laughs) you know, and this is what happens. And he's like, Oh my God, this is so interesting. Like, you know, does everybody do that? And I'm like, no, like, you know, just happens, whatever. And so he's just cracking up. And I said, okay, so anyway, like going back to the hint water, is there any way you'll put it on the shelf? And he was like, "Um, let me see what I can do. But there was no guarantee. And so I go to the hospital, deliver Justin the next morning, I get a phone call. And I joke now that, you know, when you have your fourth child, like nobody calls, your friends are like, Oh, Kara's going to be out of commission for a few weeks. (laughs) Like, you know, no one checks in. It's not the first baby. Like, you know, your family is just like, she'll call when she's ready. Like, it's like, and so, but the guy from Whole Foods calls me. Okay, there you go. He's like, yeah. And he said, "Uh, your product's gone. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, who took it? (laughs) And he said, no, I mean, like, it's gone. I mean, people bought it. People bought the product. And you have to understand, like, I was a tech executive. Like, I had been at AOL for seven years. I had you know, was taking some time off. But that was really like how most of my friends define me as a tech executive. And, and so I wasn't like telling them that I had gone and launched this beverage. I don't I wouldn't say I was embarrassed. I was just kind of like, 
oh, this is just a hobby. I don't need to like tell everybody that I'm doing this. And, and so I thought, wow, like who bought the product? I mean, nobody even knows. My friends didn't go and buy it because nobody even knows that it's in there. So you didn't tell any of your friends that you were working on this? Mm -mm. No. I mean, it's funny now because like I used to in the early days, I mean, I had kids in preschool and we'd like be in the lineup and, and I'd be like, ew, I'll try this. And people were like, wow, that's pretty good. And, but nobody really took it that seriously. Now, of course, like now that, you know, we're multi-million dollar company, they're like, oh yeah, I remember the lineup, <laughs> you know, when you'd bring the water and you'd ask me to try it and stuff. And, and so it was also, I went from being a tech executive to starting this company that, you know, things as simple as not only was I trying to figure out how to actually launch a beverage, but also make a beverage. And I mean, that's like a whole other story that it was just for me, it was also I was learning, right. And so in addition to sort of being a mom to these little kids, I felt like I had learned a lot about tech, and sort of building audiences and all my experience sales, all of these things. But suddenly, like, I was learning about distribution and a different type of sales of getting a product on the shelf. And, you know, co-packers are different than distributors. Like this whole new lingo and language for me was like, wow, that's incredible. Like I had no idea that this world existed. And and so that's really what intrigued me and really got me, you know, so excited. What was the hard part? Like, obviously, you're so excited, you know, it's sold at Whole Foods. And then, I mean, what do you think was just like the real growing pain part? I mean, there was so much I didn't know, including, I mean, I had no idea from a consumer perspective that the soda companies owned so much power on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so the, the mm -hmm. concept, like, while I, I was actually somewhat serious, but didn't know what I was talking about when I asked the original, you know, the guy who called me when I'm in the hospital and my response was, you know, who took the product? I mean, that actually happened. <laughs> like, I mean, Coke and Pepsi throw product out like a lot, you know, they're category captains and stores. I mean, they'll deny it all over the place, but I share with entrepreneurs, like, you know, the games that are played and, and look, they're played in every single industry. Sure. It's just sure. in the soda industry. Well, the fact is, if you're like a category captain inside of a Target or a Safeway or whatever, you can actually like dictate whether or not that product ever makes it out of the back room, for example. Do you think that because you physically went in to pitch this and you went directly to what, what was this guy's title? Was he like the manager? Oh, no, he was like a merchandiser. Right. So, so Coke, they didn't know about you yet. They probably would love to kick you out. <laughs> well, it's interesting. At that time, I mean, Whole Foods was a very different company than it is today. I mean, even back then, there were regional stores. I mean, they didn't even have a Whole Foods in New York, for example. But I didn't know that there was like a national buying office in Austin. Like there's so many things I didn't know. And, and back then they really wanted like local. And I think they still do to some extent today, but they wanted local companies mm -hmm. and brands and these companies to come and show up. And so, you know, we just got really lucky that there was like a little bit of wiggle room and, you know, you have to be successful. And then 
they'll keep you. But that for me was like, you know, it was really lucky that we were able to find that, but they also didn't deal with Coke and Pepsi. I mean, this was pre-vitamin water being owned by Coke, but they didn't even want like Coke to show up in the parking lot. And so today that's very different. You know, there's a lot of healthy perception products that they own versus healthy reality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these stores, they do business with them because they make economic sense to do that. And so the one other lesson that I would say, based on what I've learned is these games will exist and you can fight them or you can basically diversify the number of doors that you're in so that when a game gets played on you that you aren't happy with, then you can, you know, hammer it down. What's that game where you hammer the little... Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I forget right? what it's called. Like, yeah. I mean, that's like... Whack-a-ball. Whack-a-ball. Yeah, whack-a-ball. Like, you're, that's this industry. And so... I think that's you a know, lot of you, industries. Right? And so if you sit there and focus on that one little peg, then, you know, you're going to get screwed. Right. And so you have to just keep like focusing on how to build it even more. So I want to know what time you wake up. You know what? I wake up really early. I find like I wake up around five and check my email super fast. And then I go out with my dogs and sometimes my husband and go out hiking. I live in Marin County and I love being outside and it really sets me up for the day. Just having like that outside time. You go hiking in the morning. I can, you can see my mouth is on the floor right now. I mean, I, well, <laughs> but I'm not an, I'm not a night person. Like it really throws me if I'm out the night before and then I've got to get up, but I always like get up and my dogs like lick me until I get up. So it's, uh, I have two labs. I can relate to that. I have a Maltipoo and a teacup Maltese. I love puppies. So yeah, yeah. not at four 30 though, but yes, we love puppies. Um, That's crazy. talk to me about what goes into hint because I know you're super passionate about this. And I have to say that I also don't want to drink water all day. So it's just like infused fruit. Like what is that? Yeah. So we just use fruit and sometimes it's not just strawberries. It might be different like skins and oils of fruit. We use all fruits or vegetables to actually make up. So it's basically the essences and oils of the fruit. And there's no calories. I mean, we use like in every bottle, there's two to three drops per fruit extract. So there's no calories in the product. We don't use stevia or honey or sugar or any kind of sweetener in the product either. What's your sort of perception on like, what makes you the best at what you do? Like what kind of skills do you have that you feel like are essential to being the success that you are today? I think curiosity and tenacity and, you know, resilience, but I think leading with curiosity and just like not really feeling defeated. Like I feel like some days are good days, some days are bad days, but I feel like the key thing for me is it's just like appreciating the journey more than anything. What's next for you besides the book? And besides the deodorant, when does the deodorant is coming out in the next couple of weeks, okay, you know, really wanted to call attention to aluminum and products. I, I'm also allergic to coconut. And so a lot of the natural deodorants that are out there have coconut as a base. And so I could never use coconut. So aluminum has been tied to Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. 
as well as, you know, breast cancer. And so that's what all antiperspirants contain. And so I stopped using antiperspirant a few years ago. I actually stopped sweating when I, you know, stopped using it. It took me a couple of weeks. But the key thing for me was like, I just couldn't find a great deodorant. And so I just developed one and then realized like, doesn't have any class one allergens, coconut's a class one allergen. So if you're allergic like me, you know, it's not a good thing to actually have on your body. And then we developed sunscreen a few years ago, which is great. I mean, it's like I run into people all the time who tell me that, you know, it's like save their relationship with their children because they their kids just put it on themselves and, you know, and they love the experience. So so yeah, it's just I mean, it's really the company's turned in for into a platform of great products that are sort of not just fixing consumers and sort of their, you know, products that they buy, but hopefully also leading industries to do better as well and, you know, create products that are good for consumers to wear and drink and all that stuff. What's your life mantra? Stay curious, stay engaged in what you're doing. And I think in order to do that, you've got to have a passion for something. And so, you know, while your passion might not be starting a beverage company, I always say to people, everyone's got something in there, in them that is like something they're curious about. And they've got ideas to actually fix something. And I encourage people all the time to go and do that and try and figure out what that is. Because if you look at your life as a puzzle that is yours to solve, then it actually makes living that much more interesting. I love that sentiment. I mean, Kara, you're you're doing an amazing service for making people healthier, truly. And I am such a fan. Thank you. I subscribed to the deodorant when you sent out the Yay. preview. Um, and I can't wait because my sister was asking me, she's like, when is it out? I'm like, I don't know. I'll ask her. So yeah, a couple weeks. So a couple weeks. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Of course. And tell us when you're launching it and we'll get it up on social as well. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Have a great totally. rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you want to subscribe to my career advice newsletter, Blackboard, you can do so on alizalick.com. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at alizalickxo or reach out on Twitter at alizalick. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.